The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Special Friday afternoon edition of the pod for your Friday night commute. Going to do a little mini mailbag at the end, but first we have a lot of news to catch up on. Where would you like to start, Danny? Do you want to start with what just came down from Sam Amick of USA Today that the Hawks are nearing a buyout with Ersan Ilyasova? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, we talked about that yesterday in the Tank Commander episode, and I think that's going to be good for the Hawks. I, I would be surprised if Ilyasova has that much to, has to give up that much. Great job by Ilyasova refusing to get traded, so now he can pick his destination. Maybe a little bit of a error by the Hawks to not try to put a non-guaranteed year on the end of that or something, so they could still trade him. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Ilyasova. It could help some teams as a bench four, but I think it's perhaps more noteworthy because he is really the only guy they had in the front court. They're going to be playing a traditional front court lineup who can shoot it all, and so this will help that Hawks tank tremendously. And Ilyasova should generate some interest from teams. I don't think he's going to start on a good team, but he can be a rotation player, and then depending on the opportunity, maybe get some playoff minutes, which I'm sure will be exciting for him. He's bounced around so much in recent years, and yeah, he has he has control over his own destiny. And and I think that's a good lead-in to one of the things that we got uh, with... Well, hold on, hold on. But before we move on, uh, anywhere that seems... I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't be nearing this buyout were it not for the fact that he had somewhere else to, to go. But <clears throat> anywhere that comes to mind for you as a logical destination for him? Not particularly. I think... I got one for you. Okay. The Indiana Pacers. They could use him. They absolutely... That I, I like that. I think... And, and, you know, and they've got plenty of money to throw his way. They do. I could see... I mean, I haven't, I haven't checked checked in on Bielitsa in a while I don't know if Minnesota would rather have have him in the rotation than Bielitsa yeah the Clippers uh, maybe could use him although they are still very impacted uh, with the luxury tax uh maybe the Bucks uh, as well the they have some more breathing room below the tax now also um and now they got Jabari the Pels, back. Yeah. The Pels could always use somebody, uh, but they, they have their own problems again uh, with the tax. Uh, the Thunder, actually. Yes, his, uh, that was one I thought of too. Grunts. Yeah, so there's a lot of teams that could use him just to kind of, I mean, he's still a good team defender annually near the league leaders and charges. Spaces the floor a little bit. He, he can help a second unit. I mean, and I think he's Well, what about the Sixers? Slow. Yeah. I mean, he put another former yeah. team of his. Yeah, I mean, and, and it sounded like they could use him, uh, although I think with Marco Bellinelli, they're helped out a little bit more now um yeah there, there's definitely teams uh, that he could find a spot i think uh portland would be another 
one as well, though they their breathing room below the tax is limited after the Von Lay trade. So yeah, there's a lot of teams that could use him. I, I mean, I think the team that needs him the most is probably Indiana, just to get TJ Leaf out of the rotation, gets a, a real backup four option, uh, be, and then now have to play Sabonis and Turner together. That's one that really comes to mind. And, and OKC is the other one, just because they need another body now with Robertson out. Yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes. And so where I was going with the transition is while during the break that we took we got the details from Woj on how much players gave up which I think is always worthwhile to kind of keep in the back of your mind Joe Johnson who was traded to the Kings in that big deal he gave up a million dollars before signing with the Rockets Brandon Wright his now yeah, teammate which he gave, will not get back all of that by the way no he will not Brandon Wright gave although up, it's, it's close it's close though with the I mean I think it's 2.1 million uh and that's prorated so I, only a few hundred thousand uh, that he ended up giving up uh but yeah go ahead Brandon Wright his now teammate gave up 776,000 he's of course now on the Rockets gave that up from Memphis did not get traded and then Marco Bellinelli also did not get traded and he gave up 300,000 before joining the, the the Sixers and I thought it was a little bit interesting that that he just got the minimum I I can't remember I thought they still had part of their mid-level left and they have their full room mid-level remaining yeah, so they could go in a couple different directions with Maybe that they're saving it for Ersan Eliasova that'd be fun yeah although keep in mind this is real money if he was willing to go there anyway uh you know what why pay him that much i'm sure it's a matter sure. of negotiation there uh should we move on to this latest revelations in the big college basketball scandal Ooh, such a big scandal yeah the scandal that a an entity that makes an absolute ton of money is going to figure out a way to funnel it to the people who generate that money that's a big big surprise i mean it's what i find yeah. a little well bit- even even then it's not it's not though because it's really the pros funneling money to those college guys when it's agents who are paying them while they're still in school that's against the expectations of either future endorsement contracts or future Mm -hmm. pro contracts as opposed to it really going i mean it's definitely not going from the colleges to the players uh ultimately it seems like yeah i mean there might be other money even that's going to the to some of the individuals that work for the colleges we'll see all that Uh, one of the elements that i found a little bit strange about this is just getting this specific payments mounts i'm sure that's just how the information came in but obviously there are a lot more i mean this is a, a very unseemly element of, of of our world in in sports and basketball particularly and so those people getting singled out oh you got x amount of money from from x person that sort of stuff when there's a lot more out there and i think people need to see it that way but hey it's information and people can do with it what they will yeah alonzo ball had a, a good take on it i thought he said everyone knows everybody's getting paid might as well make it legal <laughs> So I, I I totally agree. And for those who haven't heard it, my take on this before, my thought is, you know, certainly cost of attendance type of stuff could be beefed up from colleges. But my thought is, especially because there's so many non-revenue sports, the idea of just having to pay athletes directly from the school, I understand why that might not quite work out. But what you definitely should do is just have no limitations on what you can get off the court. And so if Jim Bob's car dealership wants to pay someone, if some booster wants to just say, hey, here's a million dollars to come play here for a year if nike wants to endorse these students if if adidas wants to just pay them i'm sorry nike wouldn't be endorsing they'd be endorsing nike but if adidas sponsors the school and wants to pay someone to go to louisville to get more visibility for louisville's adidas uniforms fine all all good go for it just having the school itself have to pay though doesn't really seem like that would work because you know what then what do you do about swimmers and or title what do you nine do about also wrestlers yeah and title nine 
and all well, that. And the so. other the other big one like that that I get frustrated with is the way they resolve the likeness issue. As somebody who played a lot of the NCAA based video games, it's like, oh, well, we can't figure this out. It's like, well, just let them negotiate likenesses. I'm sure they'll do it collectively. And if the, it's too much money, then the companies won't make the games. So they'll, they'll work it out or whatever the other stuff is. But and that also does the separation between revenue and non-revenue sports, because I don't unless the students all around the country in different sports decided to I get unionize or collectivize however they want to do it. I think that's another another revenue stream that they could have that separates out. And I, I think there is a way to do it. I also think that the NBA should revise the age limit down so that if players just want to go pro, they, they can. And then, you know, if you want to get into the college game and everything that goes there, by all means. Yeah. So uh, catching up a little bit more on this report from uh, Yahoo's Pat Forty and, and Pete Thamel, tons of current college basketball stars are implicated in what appears to be pretty much only documents from ASM Sports and their former principal, in theory, former principal, uh, Andy Miller, his laptop was seized. No charges have been brought against him yet. Uh, that has led to speculation, as has Miller's reputation of being rather self-interested, that he is cooperating with federal authorities. Yahoo obtained documents which showed basically payments to a number of ASM and non-ASM clients, players who were amateurs at the time, even going back to high school, a, a few notable ones. For $43,000 to Dennis Smith and then 73000 in loans to Smith uh, and then he did not sign with ASM so they were talking about options to try and recoup that money I don't know what that would be exactly uh, players like Isaiah Whitehead Tim Quarterman Diamond Stone potentially Bam Adebayo Markel Fultz got uh, $10,000 and didn't end up signing with ASM and it's almost noteworthy in some ways how small time these amounts are in some cases but still really nowhere near the level of economic benefit that these players bring to their schools but as we noted this is not related to the schools this is all payments to just hope that they can get these players to sign on and as kp noted on twitter really the biggest scandal in all this is the involvement of trusted coaches trying to steer these players to agents or steer them to financial advisors of all the purported moral repugnancy that people are going to be up in arms about that's the one that really bothers me as aside from that go ahead you know you want to pay these guys as, as an agent as an advance to try and get them to sign with you be my guest we already talked about the Mark Cuban fine the six, $600,000 for his comments about tanking, but we did not talk about the other big story which regarding the Dallas Mavericks, which is the sexual harassment piece that came out at Sports Illustrated during the All-Star break by uh, John Wertheim and Jessica Luther, detailing a series of, of different allegations regarding people in their orbit. One was a, a writer for them, one was an executive, and the kind of how that happened, and of course in the context of what is going on now in the, in the Me Too movement and everything else, this is being looked at differently and it is it's a conversation that is still happening now and will be very interesting in light of the lack of punishment that the Knicks received for Isaiah Thomas's behavior. Is that about 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, that is right. Uh, Anuka Braun Sanders, uh, I believe, was the woman who sued the Knicks and received, I can't remember whether she wanted a judgment or, or got an enormous settlement, uh, but certainly that was uh, pretty important and yeah that's uh, surprising that the knicks uh, did not uh, get the punishment i'm glad you thought of that because i that had kind of receded uh, from my consciousness uh, and for i don't have a ton to add here on this uh, because i didn't do any of this reporting uh, 
Ramona Shelburne did a, a podcast with Woj today, which I'm probably going to listen to once we're done here. Um, and obviously, good work by Sports Illustrated for getting this story. The biggest thing that I would just point out in general, and this is something that for me, who just knows a little bit about the inner workings of, of NBA teams and people that we know have worked in kind of the real world and then have gone in onto nba teams or in the case of uh mr usury who left an nba team and went into a real corporate world at under armor is that there's a lot of aspects of working for an nba team and obviously you know sexual harassment goes on in every type of organization unfortunately but working for nba team there are so many things that you can kind of get away with that you can't get away with in the normal business world and whether that's just not having a, a reliable corporate or organization whether it's nepotism whether it's not really opening up jobs uh, that are available whether it's not having corporate policies and so i think it's very noteworthy that uh usury got away with this behavior for almost 20 years goes to under armor and the implication of the sports illustrated story is that he basically immediately was let go for doing the same type of bullshit that he was doing with the mavericks and we should note that he denied the allegations with the mavericks and they're the you know that that's kind of part and parcel to a lot of this kind of stuff. And my hope is that the light of this being just more talked about and the, the pressure and some of the consequences can fall on this. I mean, it's such a regrettable part of so many businesses. It's not it's far from just the NBA, but it's important everywhere. And so we'll see where it goes. And yes, the Nick stuff is is history and to an argument, it's precedent, but we're also in a different world now. And I think it's better. We're better for it. And so the NBA does not need to feel tied to, hey, we didn't punish them to do it now. And it'll also be interesting because of when the alleged contact occurred like some some of the stuff with usury occurred before the the isaiah thomas stuff adam silver in a memo to teams that was uh, reported on by a number of people yesterday is establishing a confidential hotline directly to the nba uh, so that this type of conduct can be re reported in the future attention now is naturally turned to mark cuban who has this reputation as a, a hands-on owner the other th part of this in addition to usury's conduct was the alleged domestic violence against earl sneed a writer for the team's site and cuban takes responsibility for not moving on from sneed with these two allegations he acknowledged that he did not adequately investigate the first domestic violence incident in which he uh, it appears likely that he broke away woman's wrist uh, and then also had a domestic violence incident with a woman that he was seeing who worked for the team back in 2014 and then they set up these rules where he basically wasn't allowed to be alone with any woman who worked there which is just completely ridiculous if you really have to set up those rules that seems beyond the pal and so cuban has taken responsibility for that i you know didn't do it until obviously the report came out claims that he didn't know about it and then the other issue that was so galling about usury's conduct was that it was reported to multiple people in the organization including a head of hr who's now been i can't remember whether he's fired or, or just suspended and so what's natural going to come to mind now is what did mark cuban know and when did he know it because people are naturally going to think of not only donald sterling uh but also the case of jerry richardson in the nfl who 
engaged in sexual harassment himself that's the big distinguishing factor here is there's no allegations directly against cuban uh the way there were against richardson who is basically now selling the team under pressure but it has been raised uh amin al-hassan and chris haynes and mark spears talked about this on the on their show yesterday of you know should there be pressure on cuban now uh, to sell the team is that a, a possible outcome here danny well and even if you go back to the we t- of course the, the sterling situation was a higher profile iteration of this but the hawks i mean the hawks that whole that whole drama ended up with the sale of the team and that was a kind of a, a, a very different kind of conduct conduct from what i remember but i mean it, it the threshold there was 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 lower and i, I don't know I, I i think it's a possibility the other challenge with this is do you want to punish you know like taking away draft picks or something like that where it affects the team on the court it affects all these other things but there is a precedent for that as well in different kind of i mean the joe Smith thing is the most notable one with losing picks and that's a possibility too i would need to know a lot more before i really thought of it but i think all of those have to be considered and now the nba you know silver in particular they they know that eyes are on them and this is you know there are parallels with this to the the situation that the nfl dealt with with domestic violence where you're trying to calibrate your response in, in a different climate and getting it wrong can lead to a really big backlog i think if cuban was merely negligent certainly a fine for the team would be appropriate i don't know if uh, beyond that necessarily would be if in fact he knew about this conduct and did nothing then i think you start getting into some real severe penalties um i don't know and you would have to go back again to all the research that was done with the league constitution and back in the donald sterling days i'd have to refresh my memory on that and like what the league's powers really would be but i guarantee you that cuban you know there's not gonna be as much of a backlash for this as there was against sterling who is an absolutely loathsome man overall i think the fact that most people like cuban here and think that he's been a good influence for the league and that the mavs in many ways have been considered a model franchise at least on the basketball well, and side do you do you remember that one of the critics of the way that silver handled sterling was mark cuban and he said i'm actually reading an article about the uh, levinson yeah. thing and he said forcing this is this quote from the washington post story forcing out the longtime clippers owner could create a quote slippery slope end quote hmm. hmm yeah that's uh that is uh ironic at the very least but i will say this mark cuban is gonna fight his ass off if they try and take his team away and he'll certainly fight real hard against any kind of discipline i think other than you know the the massive fines that he is uh, so used to paying at this point including six hundred thousand dollars as we talked about yesterday uh, briefly but uh let's move on here but first this from our friends at SeatGeek, the smartest easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event don't know whether if there are some hearings against mark cuban whether you could get a SeatGeek ticket to that or not but certainly an nba game SeatGeek is better for a couple of reasons the biggest being that it saves you time and money and actually may end up making use of money with those giant tickets that you got yeah i had to move quickly and part of moving quickly was just relying on deal score because i didn't have enough time to really filter through it myself even though i know the park well because people were realizing that it was the barry bond it's the barry bond jersey retirement game people were realizing that the tickets were going to go up really quickly so i just found something got the deal score click click through and, and got them before they went up again so got a great deal on those but i think i'm going to use them i don't think i'm going to sell them but i'm thrilled about it yes 
so SeatGeek, they aggregate ticket sites together. And then with that proprietary technology, which you referenced, they let you basically look at the section you want to sit in, see what SeatGeek thinks is the best deal. You can trust them. They've gotten me some great deals in the past. And if you want to get started with them, you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase with that familiar promo code CAPSPACE. That's promo code CAPSPACE for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All right, we'll try and uh, blow through a, a few of these here. Nothing else that's uh, particularly noteworthy but we should talk uh, some injuries we'll just go through it in, in alphabetical order here in denver mason Plumley will recall that he injured his calf it was supposed to be out two to four weeks on january 29th he is available friday night against the spurs and paul Millsap has also returned to practice mike malone had some complimentary things to say about him uh how good he looked in terms of some of the plays that he was able to make you imagine if Millsap is back at, at practice a return is relatively imminent within the next week or two especially since you can with the wrist injury but this return to full strength now is going to be very interesting day in terms of the nuggets front court rotations which we have at times been critical of we have and the expectation i would say is that Plumlee is going to play a significant role with Jokic at least in the early part even though trey lyles has looked good in that and yeah there are sacrifices you're making there and then when Wilson comes back that should actually normalize it more and we haven't seen their full strength rotation very much this year so i'm looking forward to it in dallas dorian finney smith is hoping that he can return this season another one of these quad tendon issues it's concerning and then Nerlens Noel had thumb surgery he still has not played in a game since then and he will not play in the next two games at least yeah the hope was that with the initial timetable he could return it as early as late January early February and uh, that has not been the case and with Dorian Finney-Smith I mean this is these quad tension issues he Wayne Selden and Kawhi Leonard are all struggling in fact Selden in Memphis now to, to shift to them he had some knee soreness in that same knee where he had the quad tendon issue where he basically missed the first couple of months had been playing well at, at times and he missed a couple of games before the break and now is still out with that right knee soreness so that's going to be something to monitor closely Golden State's Patrick McCaw suffered a non-displaced fracture in his left wrist prior to the all-star break he's going to be in a cast he's probably getting out of pretty shortly here but won't be reevaluated until four weeks after that injury so he's got another you know two and a half three weeks to go before a reevaluation but uh jordan bell is nearing a return now from that uh eversion ankle sprain that he suffered against the bulls in january and that could be really interesting especially in light of the rotation changes that steve kerr unveiled on thursday they started javel mcgee in the, the what ended up being a win against the clippers zaza Pachulia was actually the first big off the bench he came in with andre guadala in the first quarter and i think a little bit after him in the third and then surprisingly david west played in for all four quarters i think it was the first time all year he played a little bit at the in the in the first and third i think that was just because of matchups they didn't want to play zaza against boban but how that comes in with jordan bell i mean one idea that this could be was you know it seemed like patchouli was entrenched as a starter but maybe bell could end up replacing mcgee or something like that but it's going to take time and it does sound like kerr intends to play bell when he comes back that's been reading the tea leaves that i've seen from people including anthony slater of the athletic yeah and, and kerr said that as well uh, last night in Indiana, you recall that Darren Collison had a very small time frame for that arthroscopic surgery that he had two to three weeks. It has now been two weeks. He is to miss another week at, at least. So it sounds like that two to three week timetable is going to be at the very least at the end of that. We're, of course, any knee surgery skeptical about that.
that short of a timetable but the good news in indiana is glenn robinson the third slated to return tonight against the hornets after missing near nearly all of the season he had been playing with their fort wayne g league team and uh so hopefully should be ready to go what else we got here trevor reza is back with houston so they're getting closer to full strength which is great i'm excited to see what this team looks like however the clippers are not beyond patrick beverly being out for the year well, could, can we go back to houston real quick with... because i think a reason's sure. return is, is going to be interesting they've played it so well we talked about this on the 15 and 60 before the break with tucker and Mba mute in the starting lineup anderson and ariza had been entrenched as the starters there for a while he's coming back from this long absence from a hamstring injury guessing he's probably not going to start i guess we'll see i haven't heard anything either way there but i think you can make the argument that maybe at this point Mba mute helps houston more than ariza does uh, you know people in houston have been saying that ariza's defense has slipped a little bit ariza due to be a free agent of course this offseason but maybe they look at just continuing to stay with that Mba mute and tucker especially because those two guys you can argue are better against golden state and i'm ariza is a higher volume three-point shooter than either of those guys he's been in this rocket system for a, a very long time and probably has more gravity but with tucker and Mba mute shooting well enough and they've still got chris paul and james harden in that starting lineup maybe in fact ariza will come off the bench we'll have to see avery bradley did not play thursday against the warriors is already ruled out friday against the phoenix suns with his groin issue which was part of what i think was led to him being included in the clippers trade and that in the trade for blake griffin and also not being traded after that because if this is an issue that might persist it certainly lowers his value to teams that are competing for a playoff berth or anything like that we don't have a specific timetable on him yeah certainly something to, to watch there he's been struggling with that for nearly the entire season the lakers lonzo ball will return tonight after uh missing 41 days with the, that sprained knee and magic johnson already said isaiah thomas is going to come off the bench lonzo is going to be our starting point guard this will if he does start or presumably he'll start pretty soon here it that will lead to the demise of that super big lineup that had actually been pretty effective for them uh but they obviously lonzo ball has to play they got to see where he's at he had started to turn the corner a little bit with his shooting prior to the injury and certainly having a knee injury is not going to help him there but the, the lakers will be a very interesting team to watch here down the end both with the potential for buyouts and and with lonzo finally getting back and any drama with isaiah also uh in miami rodney magruder has been assigned to their g league team he's going to play at least two games there you remember he had that uh, fracture in his foot but they can definitely use him a, a little bit i mean, remember that he was a starter for this team a little bit undersized at the three but provides a little more shooting than justice winslow i'd be very interested to see how spo shakes that out even with Deion waiters gone now they still have Dwayne wade back as well i'm guessing that probably means that magruder and they're starting josh richardson at the three guessing that magruder is probably not going to be uh spending that much time in the rotation maybe even a guy but who could be a trade candidate this offseason if he can reestablish some value and then kelly olenic a shoulder injury always something to watch there with him given his history with shoulder injuries both caused and received uh but so he isn't quite ready to return yet but the hope is that he he's been going through a little bit of practice and it shouldn't be too long for him but it'll be big minutes now for bam out of bio and we could see out of bio closing some games rather than hassan whiteside as olenic had done previously 
In Milwaukee, John Henson uh, is coming back from his hamstring injury, and so now they have this very full center rotation with him, Thon Maker, and Tyler Zeller, who's actually been playing more than Thon, and they don't really have the capacity or the necessity to play any of those guys together, so they will have to evaluate that, and Henson makes the most sense with with where they are right now and probably where they're going, and theoretically in the playoffs, they could be going with some Giannis at center as well, so they could even have fewer minutes for centers than they have right now. Milwaukee, you know, they've already got Malcolm Brogdon out with that partially torn left quad tendon uh, he may come back late March or early April but Matthew Delvidova also suffered a pretty ugly ankle sprain stepping on D'Angelo Russell's foot against the Nets before the break he's not really moving too much you have to imagine it's going to be at least more than a week still he was doing some light shooting uh, and uh, with Henson back at least that'll enable them to get some more shot blocking uh, the defense had looked pretty ugly without Henson in there now that they're going to a more conservative scheme I think that really plays to his strengths uh, protecting the rim so presumably he'll uh, get back in the starting lineup and then the question of whether Thon Maker or Tyler Zeller is going to get the backup center minutes will be an interesting one and also whether they decide they're going to go more with Giannis at center and have uh, Jabari Parker and Middleton and and Snell and just go with more of an all-wing type of look at the end of games we'll do a few quick hitters uh just briefly the NBA's hottest team Utah Jazz impressively they've won 11 straight despite missing Rubio for three of those games with a hip injury so they'll be closer to full strength now and Dante Exum is doing non-contact work getting back from his shoulder injury so we could expect to see them push they don't play a road game until March 3rd so this could be a continuation of that run though of course they have some good teams on the schedule yeah Exum will be very interesting to see how he fits into the rotation does he just replace Holoneto and and Alex Burks Alec Burks neither of whom have been playing a ton they of course have a decision to make on him in in terms of a qualifying offer as well so they're going to want to see what they can get with him but coming back from shoulder injury unclear whether he could be that effective for them we'll have to see where his defense is at at this point i'm not sure if he's going to be a positive player for them or not but you expect that they will at least find out uh in new orleans solomon hill is supposed to get some testing this week but he hasn't even been cleared to start uh, practicing so it's looking like mid-march would probably be the earliest from that severe hamstring injury new orleans once again i shouldn't say once again because i'm not sure if they've done this before but they're always uh, among the league's worst in terms of injuries and they lead the league by a mile in man games lost injury this year i mean that you've had Ajinsa out for the year ashik missed time before he was traded cousins now of course is out for the year as well solomon hill has yet to play uh and then of course the fact that all these guys who struggled with injuries when they were there leave and then they look good all of a sudden is uh doesn't look like they've made a ton of improvements there in terms of uh their medical staff and then i thought anthony davis's comments at all-star were interesting he kind of walked them back a little bit after in a subsequent interview but he basically said hey you know what just making the playoffs is not good enough for me and i think no matter how he wants to dress up anything that he says after that, I mean, I think we all know that he, they are going to need to be at least a team, you know, that's in the mix for home court advantage in the first round to keep him. I think it, ultimately the frustration is going to grow. And that's why I've been advocating that they should have traded him at this trade deadline because I don't see a path for them to get there, especially now with this DeMarcus injury. They now have this really fraught negotiation with Cousins. And if he gets 
paid a lot, then that makes it more complicated to keep Nicole Miritich, assuming they're not willing to pay the luxury tax. And so, and they don't have their own first round pick. So how they get a lot better from this point, especially if ownership is unwilling to pay the luxury taxes, it's it's going to be hard like to, to make that level. And you could say, oh, if healthy, but I mean, Drew Holiday's having a really nice year this year. Davis is, you know, not the kind of fringe MVP level he was a couple years ago, but he's having a very nice year himself. Cousins was Cousins for while he was healthy. So it's going to be hard. And the longer they wait, the less value they get because the designated veteran extension is not going to be available to any other team. So certain teams might think of it as kind of, you know, not a rental, but as a, you know, they have the opt, they had, they'll have the ability to resign them, but I'm, I'm not sure what kind of overtures he's going to give to any specific situation without having experienced it. So the less time he gets, the fewer playoff runs, the fewer full seasons on that team, the less you're going to get as a return. And we saw that over this past summer. And also noteworthy that 90 year old Tom Benson, the owner of the Pels was in the hospital. I don't think it was anything particularly serious thing. It was flu-like symptoms, but he was hospitalized. I think, you know, when you're at that age, anything they want to try and stay on top of it. Uh, But uh, in Orlando and Sacramento, just to tie up a couple of things that we talked about yesterday, Jonathan Simmons should be okay for the next game, not a severe ankle sprain. We alluded to that yesterday. And Amon Shumpert, he uh, suffered left foot plantar fasciitis in his attempt to return from knee surgery. That apparently flared up after he tried to do some on-court work with the Kings on Wednesday. So it doesn't look like his return will be remotely imminent. And then someone whose return is imminent in San Antonio is the other combo forward they have uh, on their team Rudy Gay is quite maybe not technically a combo for it but Rudy Gay certainly is at this point he will return he's missed uh, almost two months uh, but he will have a minutes limit you want to do a little uh, mini mailbag here before we get out here yeah we can do that question from uh, Rissi- Ricky Skrika has Rudy Gobert missed too many games to be a serious defensive player of the year candidate my own personal criteria is a li- I lean a little bit more towards most outstanding rather than best but as a practical matter Gobert at this point has played in 35 32 games sorry and they have 24 remaining so maximum he could play would be 56 I don't think that's enough for him to realistically win the award and yes Embiid who I still have as of the last time we did it as the favorite to win it had is not playing in every game but that's a pretty low threshold at this point and that requires him playing in every game and I wouldn't expect him to play in every single game the rest of the way yeah and for Gobert too I think when you miss all of your games in big chunks it just hurts more in terms of the voters than if like Embiid you know you're missing a game here and a game there and you end up I mean, 60 games played for Embiid interspersed with rest throughout the the season as opposed to missing all the games in a chunk like it really I think it affects the perception of things I do think if you had to say who has been the best defensive player in the league on a per minute basis maybe you could say that it's Gobert but I still think Embiid is above him the Warriors continue to not defend so I think Draymond Green is kind of out of it you know, maybe Al Horford is another guy who comes to mind he doesn't play a ton of minutes really either uh, so yeah I, I still think it's Embiid's to lose if he goes down then maybe you could start thinking uh, about Gobert uh, but so I mean maybe a serious candidate yeah you know maybe I could see him being like third or fourth if he plays the rest of the season and they continue to defend the way they have uh, with him on the court but uh, I don't don't see him winning it unless it's just you know Embiid really just misses a bunch of games or somehow the 
Sixers defense really declines. Interesting question from Liam Bailey. Could Harden, LeBron, and Chris Paul really play together? Can't imagine Chris Paul being a third option. I've been skeptical of this as well, depending on how they, because I mean, at least in crunch time and to start games, you would have those three guys play together and all three of them are best with the ball in their hands. I mean, we're seeing that a little bit with LeBron now. I mean, yes, they did lose their most recent game against the, the Wizards, but the guys they added around LeBron are much less ball dominant than the guy, especially Isaiah, that, that they lost. And LeBron likes it that way, at least to a point, you know, if the player is good enough. And so I think they would tolerate it and they're all so good that they could make it work. But I think that's getting really, really close to too many cooks for all three of them, especially LeBron. Certainly, we're not going to expect each of them to play as well and affect their teams as much. Like you start to get diminishing returns. It wouldn't be as good of a fit as the Warriors stars who are all, you know, among the greatest shooters ever at their position. But Chris Paul is shooting a lot more threes this year, a lot more spot up threes this year. Harden also shooting more spot up threes this year. The fact that both those guys are very solid three point shooters when they're open really helps. I think LeBron to me is harder to play with in some ways than CP and Harden because he is not a great spot up shooter. He is probably even more of a control freak in terms of having the ball in his hands more it certainly would put a lot of pressure uh, on Mike D'Antoni but Mike D'Antoni has no problem just running pick and rolls and isoing as well and he always is going to have plenty of spacing uh, around those guys I think it obviously would improve their team and this idea that like oh can they play together I mean can't play together to me is like you know that's just oversimplifying and going way too far like having LeBron on the team would really improve them they and would especially be, because the yeah. guys they would give up if they're basically if they're keeping Harden and CP there are a couple different ways it could happen but to me it would probably be the opt-in and trade so that would probably yes. be you know giving up Eric Gordon and some other pieces like that Eric Gordon has having a very nice year he is not LeBron James I think that's not really making a bold statement and if you had a team with those three guys especially if you're a low a low usage but highly capable guy that Houston on the minimum would be an incredibly desirable place because you're going to just feed on open looks a guy like Channing Frye imagine like what what he could do or any number of shooter wing type guys that aren't really good enough to to get big money in a year where nobody's going to have money well and also defensively with Paul and LeBron in their early 30s Harden never the greatest defensively although caveat for our Houston listeners he has been better this year uh and Houston has been a top 10 defense for much of the year the fact that they would all have so much less of a load I think could really help their defense quite a bit and maybe LeBron still can get back to being a a more regular force on defense if he doesn't have to do as much offensively I I mean they would be awesome would they be favored against the Warriors you know we'd have to see how these two teams look the rest of the year or how LeBron looks the rest of the year but and who the supporting cast is but I think it would also be certainly be right up there I think it would work just fine it would also be hilarious to see the dynamics in the regular season between coasting LeBron and likely CP at moments and Harden pushing as hard as he can for everything. I think that could actually work reasonably well. Be like, you know, it could open the door for some stuff. But yeah, it would be a real sacrifice. And I mean, something you and I talked about in the early days of Durant back in 2016 was that the guy who sacrificed the most in that was Stephen Curry. It wasn't Durant. And that is, I think Harden would be, you know, you'd have to yeah. ball his Although hands I would say less. at this point, at this point, I would say actually Katie is probably sacrificed more. Sure. In terms but of in those early days. Yeah, just 
the yeah. the adjustments and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it would be lead to a fabulous team and the personality dynamics would be incredibly important as well. Corbin Ford asks, uh, in our respective opinions, who are the best irrational off the dribble long range shooters in NBA history? Long range now means three pointers. I don't know that it did all the time. So you could go back to uh world be free is a guy who would just take absolutely awful shots off the dribble. I mean, a lot of them were long twos and they didn't take threes as much back then, but he was definitely a guy who just jacked up shots uh, like crazy irrational off the law off the dribble to me means uh, do you take this to mean danny like just you know bad off the dribble long range shots is that what we're talking about here i think that's different than somebody like steph curry where they're not necessarily rational because he's the greatest shooter of all time the first guy right. that i thought of it's it's funny because will be free has a chapter in my book larry hughes does not have a chapter in my book but larry hughes did this on a series of different teams and also inspired my favorite url in history it is not still active sadly enough it was www.heylarryhughes.stopptakingsomanybadshots.com and it actually ran for like 10 years it was pretty spectacular uh he he did that at certain moments in time but those weren't that that was a mix of twos and threes just in that era yeah corbin suggested jamal crawford he certainly is on that list uh he suggested nick young young didn't quite have the level of handle of some of these guys you know he's kind of more catch the ball take a dribble or two you know he's not gonna like put someone in the mix and then pull up in their face a couple other guys that came to mind for me some 90s guys mahmoud abdul raouf uh at his height would just you know cross guys up and, and, and pull in their faces uh dana barros was another guy who, who came up a, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about these uh, the two guys having 50 point games in, in the same season for a, a team uh he was one of them willie burton i think was the other um and especially uh, there was a surge in these guys i think in the mid 90s when they moved the three-point line down to 22 feet um you know steph curry would still of course uh, have to be on that list as well i think ray allen would have to be on that list as well but I mean, those guys are almost like too good of players to be in this category steve nash is another just unbelievable off the dribble three-point shooter but yeah he didn't take too many bad ones either uh and then the last guy that came to mind for me is a guy who i don't think even ever got the slightest sniff in the nba but was the first guy that i really saw just take completely ridiculous shots like this he played on arkansas's great teams in the mid-90s like Carlos williamson uh this guy named alex dillard who would just bomb from like 40 feet away it was awesome uh he just had license to pull from anywhere uh just he's just the first guy that i remember i just wanted to give him a shout out because that guy was awesome the other one i thought of when i saw dillard was i seem to remember marshall henderson when he was at old miss doing some absolutely crazy oh stuff god as well. yeah yeah all right well he did say nba history i guess i i i opened I that think, door yeah you did i had to mention him when you mentioned dillard i thought it was appropriate last question we're gonna do is from anthony deverno or dinverno it's there's an end there i didn't see of all the non-donovan mitchell rookie point guards frank nokina's defense is probably the most bankable but also clearly the least valuable given the position assuming he's some sort of combo guard what type of shooting we need to be shooter would he need to become to be a solid starter and nokina i actually think when at, at the draft point i hadn't watched nearly as much donovan mitchell because he wasn't one of the guys that we focused on for the show i thought nokina was the best defensive player that i was familiar with on the on the perimeter in that draft and the reason why is i thought his versatility i think he can defend both guard positions maybe even slide to the three at certain moments and he's gonna have to get a lot stronger for a lot stronger for that but you know like some of the small he's got the length he's got the length and so that means that he can you can fiddle with it a lot more especially if you don't want him to be a primary ball handler i mean so basically that's the that's the split that you need to do either he can shoot well enough as an off ball guy that you can play him off ball and play him with somebody else and that's what i actually think is the best end game for him but he's been a better passer than i thought so or he can be a good 
good dribbler and passer, and then you can run your offense through him. And we we hope to see that with Frank Porzingis pick and rolls. And now we're not going to see that for about a calendar year. Yeah, I'll, this is redundant, but we got to ask. So uh, I think George Hill was always the kind of ceiling for Nilakina to me. You know, he doesn't have the tightest handle, doesn't have great moves. I, I as you mentioned, I have been impressed by his ability to find the role man in, in pick and roll. I think he's a better passer than Hill, who's never been a huge assist guy and was really more of a combo guard. But Nilakina doesn't have a ton of explosion, not a great finisher. So I think he's going to generally be reliant on his spot up shooting. You know, I, I don't, he's not like quite the genius passer of like someone like a Ricky Rubio or something where he can really, despite his inability to score at the rim, where he can just be a huge boon to an offense solely with his passing. So I see him really, you know, if he's your number one pick and roll option, you're probably not good enough there. You, you need someone else. And so then he's got to have uh, some off ball shots. I think he'll get there uh, as a shooter, but you know, he's going to need to be a 37% three point shooter probably to really be a, a starter given what I view as his offensive limitations. So, uh, you know, I, I never thought he had superstar potential. I still feel that way. Also worrisome is just some of uh, a lot of the reporting out of the New York media, Harvey Ayrton, Frank Isola in particular indicate that Nilkin is really seems to be out of favor they're going with Moutier to start games they were playing Jarrett Jack a ton of minutes even though Nilkin had had some moments of effectiveness early in the season they're now going to play Nilkin more at the two as well and it seems like with the new regime in town he really doesn't have a lot of currencies viewed as the last mistake of Phil Jackson and so that's worrisome as well that he may just not get the organizational resources to develop because he is uh, viewed as uh, part of the old regime and there isn't an investment in him by the new guys uh scott perry and steve mills who uh meet the new boss same as the old boss in his case he could then end up being a fascinating second draft candidate and with a lot of these players who end up in a situation that maybe do do things outside of their control end up not being good if they work on their game enough they will get another opportunity i mean especially somebody like frank who's young enough so i i would be concerned but if he if he puts the time in it'll work out well for him all right, that will do it for today. We're going to try and get a 15 and 60 out uh, on Sunday. So we are going to deluge you with content after that long break. Uh, it should be a, a good, fun one to check in on, on some of the action over the weekend with, with the 15 and 60. And uh, Twitter NBA show tomorrow, Oklahoma City has destroyed Golden State in their two meetings so far this season. We will be back for that 5.30 p.m. Pacific uh, to do our alternate play-by-play on Saturday. Hope you all tune in. In, then at Nate Duncan NBA, uh, follow me on Periscope. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.